four of the Call of Beauty podcast. I'm Estella Weeks. I'm Emma Rakovic. I'm Mel Crossley. I'm Ellie Toner. We will be talking about women's beauty and breaking the stigmas around what makes up women's beauty. Diving deeper into the role gender plays in beauty and the societal or male influence that can often dictate women's beauty expectations. We want women to gain a better understanding as to why they are expected to look a certain way because of their gender and how these trends historically have come about. How beauty expectations are more intense than people would think and what is happening in society that continues to enforce these expectations. beauty what first comes to mind beauty to me is well there's a lot of things beauty is in the eye of the beholder i define beauty as enhancement of what's naturally there you know i think when i was younger sometimes it was like surface and just like oh what's beautiful is what i see on the outside beautiful people are, are, are a wonder to behold oxford languages defines the word beauty as a beautiful woman merriam webster defines it as a person especially a woman who is beautiful Dictionary.com uses the definition, a beautiful person, especially a woman. Beauty comes in many forms in our daily lives, so why do so many of these sources insist that it specifically takes on the form of a woman? And why do female-identifying people feel so much pressure to be beautiful? Gendered beauty has been a part of our world for centuries. Some of the first evidence of feminine beauty expectations dates back to nearly 40,000 BC, according to the World History Encyclopedia. Cam Butin is a student at the University of Utah. Putin says that her mind goes back to ancient Greece when asked about the first examples of feminine beauty. The first thing that pops up is just like the Greek and Roman gods because you think about these gods that they, or goddesses that they had like um, Aphrodite and Venus and they were both supposed to be these perfect feminized versions of beauty and body standards and what those are supposed to look like at the time. The earliest known Venus figurines are believed to come from the European Ice Age. Venus was a symbol that represented feminine beauty and fertility, which looked very different thousands of years ago than it does today. These figurines were round and curvy with exaggerated hips, thighs, and breasts. The first examples of gendered beauty expectations weren't really expectations at all, but rather an homage to one of the most sacred functions of a female body, fertility. Curvy bodies were the standard for thousands of years after this. Hers Magazine says that in ancient Greece, men were actually held to a higher beauty standard than women. Marble statues from this period depict women with fuller bodies as it was a symbol of wealth. If you were more plump, that meant you had more food. And the only way to get more food was to have enough money. This beauty baseline carried on into the following centuries. Health and wealth remained desirable. Food access continued to shape ideal appearances. Think of the artwork that came out of the Renaissance era. Almost every woman is with big hips and legs, big breasts, and full curves. The standard for beauty worked with women rather than against them, as they were most desirable as their bodies naturally were. So when do we first start to see women altering themselves to better fit the beauty standard? We see it in Victorian England during the 18th century. The corset rose in popularity to satisfy the desire for an hourglass figure. They were used to painfully squeeze a woman's ribs and even rearrange her internal organs to make her waist smaller. 
The cinched waist look popularized to complement the trend of high-waisted dresses, according to an article from CNN Health. Now let's jump forward to when we really saw beauty begin to preoccupy Western society, the 20th century. A 1987 article from the Washington Post says that World War I was what caused the biggest shift from Victorian beauty to modern beauty. Cosmetics were first normalized in the 1910s and 1920s. It became regular practice to use makeup to complement desirable features while covering up unwanted flaws. Makeup was associated with prostitution and is favored by most before this time. The ideal body type for a woman took a big turn during the same period. Slender and skinny bodies were becoming more desirable, admired, and expected. According to an article by The Conversations, the 20s was when America first saw advertisements for weight loss regimens. How did we so quickly make the turn from praising curvy bodies and natural beauty to finding every way we can change ourselves to better fit the beauty standard? The best answer to this is the rise of mass media. Whatever is kind of currently trending in media definitely affects like my day-to-day life because I try to present myself to fix or to fit those certain standards or things that are kind of trending. That was Lauren Brands, a student at the University of Utah. She says still to this day, the media plays one of the biggest roles in defining feminine beauty in America. Hollywood and the film industry started setting the bar in the mid-1900s. Brands didn't miss a beat when asked to name who she thought was the most prominent person in the history of women's beauty. The most iconic beauty symbol was Marilyn Monroe. There's honestly no one else that I can think of. She is, I feel like, in every kind of, like, beauty symbol from that time period. Marilyn Monroe has been the poster child of beauty expectations since she first rose to popularity in the 50s. Playboy magazine released its first issue in the same decade. The media that surrounded us painted the ideal woman as highly sexualized with a small waist and big curves. The word skinny has become increasingly connoted with the word beautiful since then as the beauty standard has gotten thinner and thinner. The 1990s brought the trend known as heroin chic, characterized by a dangerously thin body and overall sickly complexion. Social media's introduction in the 21st century quickly took the lead in setting the bar for beauty. Modern movements strive to create a more inclusive and open-minded approach to beauty. Some social media users make it their mission to circulate a message of self-love on their platforms. But at the same time, these platforms work against them by circulating quite literally picture-perfect images of modern beauty icons. Claudia Geis is a gender studies professor at the University of Utah. She says that today, beauty and looks are often correlated with success. There is this evidence of like being seen as beautiful enough or adhering to these standards comes with rewards of maybe like landing roles um, in media, being a successful influencer, regardless of who you are as a, as a person and the currency for women to have beauty as um, like one of the various tools to achieve success. Prominent figures like Bella Hadid, Hailey Bieber, and the Kardashian family have gained status and are praised due to their flawless appearances we see on social media. A 2023 study from PubMed Central says that there has been a significant increase in both surgical and non-surgical cosmetic procedures since Instagram gained popularity in 2012. Another study from the Pew Research Center found that women are more likely to have social media accounts compared to men in the U.S. According to EAVI, a European nonprofit promoting media literacy, this makes women more prone to being influenced by digital gender display and stereotype beauty. The impacts of feminine beauty standards reach far beyond women today. Putin identifies as non-binary. She says societal beauty expectations impacts how she displays her gender identity. 
when I want to look really, when I want to go, you know, have a night out on the town, look really good. Like I, I want to look awesome. I am not going to dress like a boy. <laughs> like, you know, like what, if I want people to look at me and be like, oh, she is attractive. She is an, a thing of envy. I utilize like what I have been taught from feminized beauty standards, like emphasizing parts of your body and wearing this kind of makeup and these features and stuff like that. Geist says that changing our view of beauty would help us to break away from patterns of gender inequality. One of the things where my argument has always been is like if we try to really question beauty standards, that benefits everyone, not just less pressure on especially heterosexual cisgender women, but also other genders, um, cisgender men who don't have to look a certain way of, or perform masculinity outward in ways that are, you know, sometimes really limiting for people who don't have the physical traits that make them look in the expected ways. So what is beauty and what does it mean to be beautiful? Thousands of years of history show us that that answer is ever-changing. The quest for beauty seems like a journey with no end in sight. I'm Mel Crossley, reporting. We want to touch upon topics such as societal expectations of what women should wear and the influence of women's fashion throughout time. To get right into it, I want to start off by talking about the impact about fashion trends have on body expectations. I think this connection between the fashion industry, trends, and body image can be absolutely detrimental for young women. We as females should strive to break the stigma of toxic beauty standards in fashion that can be harmful to women. The fashion industry tends to push the ideal image of what a woman should be, how we should dress, and how we should look based on popular trends for that time. When you guys think of uh, like an icon that stands out when it comes to gender and beauty throughout history, whether that whether that is um, more like androgynous beauty, more feminine beauty, or more, more masculine beauty, who are those big names that could be like now or throughout history that immediately come to your mind and why do they show those aspects? Um, Marilyn Monroe. Um, she's like the first one I thought of. Um, I honestly don't know that much about her, but I know, I don't know, she, didn't she have like the, you know, she was like the, what females should look like, should be like, I don't really know a lot about her, but I just know that, you know, she's who I think of when I think of like feminine beauty and like beautiful women and, um, Yeah. <laughs> I would say on the contrary of like normalized gendered beauty, I would say David Bowie for a man that kind of broke out of the traditional male roles. Um, He has a lot of eccentric fashion and decisions that he made that really kind of led the way for a lot of male stars to do stuff like that. Like um, the David Beckham, you know, and Brad Pitt and Harry Styles, all these men kind of 
are okay with that. And then I would say on the, like, opposite sides, the first person was, like, Billie Eilish for some reason. She wears a lot of clothes back in when she was younger to, like, hide her body that were big and loungy and comfy and kind of, like, it gave Adam Sandler vibes. And I feel like that was, that made girls more comfortable wearing, like, baggy on baggy instead of, like, you know, if you're going to have a small top, you need a big bottom, or if you need a big bottom, you need, you know, like, that kind of thing. When I think of, like, a fashion icon kind of in, like, today's day and age, my mind goes to Emma Chamberlain, because I think she has, like, a really unique um, style and a really cool sense of fashion, and I I like how her her fashion has kind of evolved over the years, and I think it's really eccentric and quirky and, like, vintage, and she can, like, really make, like, trends happen with, like, one Instagram post. Like, I feel like she kind of started to bring back, like, flare pants onto social media, like, years ago, back when I was in high school, and I think it's cool to see her working with, like, really big brands now and partnering with, like, Louis Vuitton and Miu Miu and, um, like, big designers and, like, being at really, like, cool fashion shows and big events like the Met Gala um, and seeing, like, her looks for those kind of events is, like, really who I follow when I'm looking for fashion inspiration. I think it's interesting to think about how, uh, like, what kind of quote-unquote beauty icons stand out, uh, like, decades ago versus today. Because when I think of gendered beauty, like, in the late 1900s, of course, it's, like, Marilyn Monroe, and I think of, like, Audrey Hepburn, just these very hyper-feminine, like, dainty, perfect hair, very gentle face, like always done up looking gorgeous as ever but then when I think today of the just beauty icons the fashion icons it's my mind a more immediately goes to the people that defy the norms that we have today like like you're saying Billie Eilish you think of just I think it's becoming way more normal not really normal but People are tending to go for more of a unisex look and kind of defying those normal, those gender norms that we've seen all throughout history up until now. And even you mentioned, Estella mentioned David Bowie. And the reason why, one of the base reasons why he got so much attention for his style was because he was doing something that people didn't do then. And he got a lot of backlash for it. And a lot of people didn't like him for that, but also... The people that loved him for that, loved him for that. And it's just interesting to see how far we've come. Because, like, the iconic Harry Styles in a dress on the cover of Vogue, that would not have passed back in Marilyn Monroe's time. Like, that would not even have made it past the first editor that looked over the magazine cover. But now, of course, it did, like, spark so much backlash, but... It's still, like, it's becoming more of a normal practice, and just that unisex look, decades ago, I'm sure people could not even comprehended that, but now it's such a big thing. Although I think that there were homosexual people and people of different, like, 
walks of life in that sense back in the day it wasn't something to a be proud of b you wouldn't tell people because you would probably get in I don't know severe trouble I'm not really sure what kind of trouble but now I feel like it's it's accepted and it's like popularized to you know there are transgender people and there are people who you know are of different I feel like now sexuality is there's a spectrum of it and it's easier for people to comprehend that and so when people break gendered boundaries whether it's with their clothes their style their look their hair their actions you know they're stay-at-home dads now and 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 I'm sure there were back in the day but it's not something that you'd be proud of or you would go and advocate for so I feel like now with people being more accepting it's kind of trickled down into acceptance of how people look and what they do and how their bodies look and in general like breaking out of gendered social constructs has entirely made us more available to like unleash our inner inspiration of what we want to look like I think it's interesting too to think about just the idea of gendered beauty as a whole it's definitely a very like western idea I mean most places all throughout the world have very different standards for beauty depending on gender which have just like you know raised from the dawn of time just because whatever but um it's just crazy that it has become such a thing that it has where you know just because of the way your body functions you're supposed to look an entirely different way and you're expected to just meet these expectations and because those expectations are going to help you perform I mean especially in the U.S. it's kind of like goes back to like the nuclear family the reason why women's beauty expectations turned the way that they did was because you know women were supposed to wear dresses so they could they didn't need like pants like men needed because they didn't need to be doing the hard work you know so it's just kind of crazy to think that that even developed as a thing like if you just think it's so weird the fact that a man wearing a dress caused like the internet to lose its mind just thinking like all societal norms aside like what the heck it's so weird but at the same time so interesting when in all reality like people like men back in the old and old and olden days and even like scottish men they would wear skirts they would do that because like riding horses like they literally used to wear skirts and tights they'd wear makeup and wigs and we now call that drag like it's just it's such a crazy phenomenon that they have switched over and i think it's awesome i think it's so cool that um we like people have found ways to express themselves and we're like breaking those gendered boundaries um i mean obviously it's not like perfect and you know people not everybody's as accepting as you know we would hope they would be but i think it's really cool that um that like this change like that switch is being made because i it's important i feel like to express yourself and to dress the way you want, look the way you want, be who you want. Um, yeah, I think that's really awesome.
question that I have for you today is how does feminine beauty impact like all genders? Well, one of the things is that beauty standards, you know, the quest for beauty is sort of an inherent feature in, you know, society's desire to create inequalities um, where sometimes like, there's comparison, people rank and beauty that plays a role in that. It's just like what the content of that is, like what is considered beautiful, what is considered not beautiful, that varies. And it's interesting that you ask like how um, feminine beauty standards like matter for all people in society, because it's just that we don't think quite as much about beauty standards for like other genders. And in part is that because of typical patterns of gender inequality where women's contributions often have been limited to sort of the um, domestic responsibilities, um, procreation, um, or sort of being, being beautiful. It's like more dominant. But one of the things where my argument has always been is like, if we try to really question beauty standards, that benefits everyone, not just less pressure on especially heterosexual cisgender women, but also other genders, um, cisgender men who don't have to look a certain way of, or perform masculinity outward in ways that are, you know, sometimes really limiting for people who don't have the physical traits that make them look in the expected ways that kind of perfectly transitions into like why is forcing such specific roles feminine or not how is that toxic in a way like when do we draw the line between it being something that people are proud of proud of femininity proud of masculinity and where does that line draw to where it becomes toxic for generations especially younger generations that are super impressionable yeah, and that is really, it really is like the big question of how can we disrupt these patterns that are harmful while also preserving people's ability to just express themselves. Because in a sense, it's creating, um, there, we are in what I maybe unscientifically call a vicious circle, is that we are socialized in environments that make certain assumptions about gender in order to be successful, be accepted, or not have backlash, many people either are able to or want to conform to gendered expectations with respect to how they talk, how they gesture, how they dress, how they um, like shape their bodies, because it's then rewarded. In, it's rewarded in, in many different ways. Um, but I don't want to fall into the trap of we can say like, oh, people should not look like this. People should not, you know, it's, it's wrong to say, oh, people shouldn't wear makeup. People shouldn't mm -hmm. have cosmetic procedures. People shouldn't enjoy fashion because part of the thing is if we can get to an environment where there is less judgment, where people say it's like, oh, this is difference of like, you have, you know, jewelry all over your body you don't, you wear the colors all over your body, you don't, if it's just a difference and then keep people can express themselves and that then benefits everyone, 
because the people who want to follow sort of like expected um, forms of expression, they can still do that, but then others are not penalized. And that will also give a lot more freedom to pe for people to be who they are. I have to admit, I don't have a clear recipe how we get from reproducing gendered norms and gender beauty standards, which is the here and now, to let people express themselves without backlash, uh, fear of backlash or actual violence for just like, expressing themselves who they are. I am not sure how to get from here to there, but I believe that being aware of how problematic it is to force, sometimes force people to like present themselves in non-authentic ways that that is just harmful and does not uh, allow people to just like live their most authentic lives something that i thought was interesting how you said it was like trend and i feel like that's that's a big thing with women is it, it's kind of like for men to mature and age there's terms like silver fox and we are so proud of men when they you know have their natural gray hair and they have their mature and, and then when a woman ages and doesn't have botox doesn't dye her hair doesn't have root touch-ups and lip filler and stuff it's kind of looked at as she's looking homely and she looks her age so it's kind of like a cycle of trends also how like bodies go in and out of fashion how do you feel like there's an economic standpoint behind that how we can milk women yeah. for money more than we can men because we've taught them that it's they're they're trendy you know this is a really great question and in a sense i'm not sure whether there is sort of this like invisible like big movement to like push people in like one direction or another i feel it's like a little bit more haphazard haphazard where like companies or like whoever ha happens to be famous and influential and like whatever form is like trying to like gain influence and sort of like set the standards and then some things stick and others and others don't and then people jump on and try to monetize that so i think it's actually really hard to predict of where we're headed next but it is definitely a reflection that so much of this is marketed especially towards heterosexual women because part of the expectation is to really understand sort of like the male gaze of like how to be attractive to heterosexual man but even for people who reject sort of that male gaze like for example they're not interested um a man as a partner so they're not interested in the male gaze there is this evidence of like being seen as like, beautiful enough or adhering to these standards comes with rewards of maybe like landing roles um, in media, being a successful influencer, regardless of who you are as a, as a person, and the currency for women to like, have beauty as um, like one of the various tools to achieve success. I mean, that is the two-edged sword. I think that cycle is difficult because people then need to make need to be in a position to say is like, I just want to be myself. I don't want to wear, you know, I don't want to spend the time for hair color upkeep or, you know, wrinkled, wrinkle reduction um, or these things. And there may be economic and social costs associated with it. And if people are more aware of 
you know, if we could just cut down on judging people's bodies or commenting on people's bodies, I feel that would go a long way. Because often it's meant in a, in a nice way, where people compliment one another, but that creates a cycle of where we just value people's looks over who they are as people. And then that creates this beauty or looks as currency and creates then pressures to, to move forward. But it's really hard to ignore people's bodies and not, like, not compliment them to really be very aware and I'm not sure that I'm not sure how to um, resist the cycle of tapping into people's insecurities because that's often what it is like sort of deficit reduction it's like oh I look older because I have gray hair coming in I could fix that because I don't want to deny people access to these opportunities to make themselves feel better especially if there are positive financial consequences but structurally, if everybody just could start judging people less by how they look, or, you know, at least be more aware of that's happening, I'm almost optimistic that would go a long way. And why do you feel like women are so reluctant to age? Like, has that been like a societal norm for a long time? I am not sure about the empirical evidence, but one of the things is that women who are perceived as being older are often seen as invisible because they neither fall into the group of outside of reproductive age, not a desirable sexual partner for men. Then sort of the stigma of seeing women more as like visually identified rather than by skills or character. And that is something that's really hard to break when like the compliments, even sometimes children are given, are much more geared towards looks um, for um, girl children and then about skills of like, you're such a good climber, you're so strong um, for boy children. And sort of that idea that beauty is an important part of like who one is, like that is pretty, pretty deep seated. In what other ways do you feel like we subconsciously reinforce toxic gendered beauty standards on women in like mm -hmm. our everyday lives? I think part of it is sort of an emphasis on people's bodies, even from a young age, like things like dress codes um, in public schools where it's all about, you know, allegedly they're gender neutral. But when we're realistic, the, pro the enforcement is probably like, still very gendered and very raced um, with respect to what gets called out. And it's just this like, hyper-awareness of um, like, children really as like, potential objects of sexual desire, um, people being objectified in those ways. Let's say it's not helping. Um, there's, you know, examples where I know many public schools have been trying very hard to undo some of the worst of it, but sometimes in these formal occasions, things come out. It's like, how do you dress up formally? It's like, why is there such an obsession about like gowns and dresses? And aren't there other ways that people can just express themselves? And, you know, I would hope that in all, um, the formal occasions that, you know, in the Salt Lake area high schools, that if, 
young girls or non-binary students want to wear a suit, they can wear their freaking suit um, rather than say, like, you ought to wear, uh, wear a dress. And I feel so the focus on bodies and the gender binary is sort of that combination where we just make the assumption that a that people fall into one of two categories, which is like not accurate because there are lots of people who are non non-binary, they're gender queer. Not all women fall into like, like yeah, it's a big bucket, but there's lots of variation within of how people see themselves and how they express their femininity or their absence of femininity and still take on the identity of a woman. And like the idea that there's like two very distinct buckets and if one set of things is right for that people in that one bucket, another thing is right for people in the other bucket. That's just neither realistic, nor does it really benefit anyone. I mean, I live under a rock when it comes to fashion. <laughs> so I sometimes feel that you know, what is sort of the expression of femininity or tomboy, that changes really rapidly of like what people wear and these, um, each new generation has like a different way of like expressing like femininity or masculinity or androgyny, but to just like disconnect how we want to appear to other people and what's happening in our brains, like the topics that interest us, like that would be nice <laughs> because then we could just say, prevent people from being steered away from certain majors mm -hmm. we would have way more men in nursing we would have way more women in engineering um that would be nice yeah. and people look all sorts of ways and then it's just easier to be who you are but that is the sort of like mid afternoon utopian hope mm -hmm. that I have but just like kind of watch what one is saying can be helpful and like reducing assumptions I think throughout this assignment it, it has especially made me think about things a lot and it's been super insightful to be able to look more into the history of certain aspects because I, I am a woman so it, it, it's interesting to look at why I say certain things or do certain things and kind of what those implications have been in my life. And I mean, one of the challenges is because we live in the real world where certain like social norms exist, media exists, socialization exists. It's really hard to know sometimes like what is it that people truly want or what is sort of because we listen to the stories that we're told of what we really want. And so that is why it's really hard to look at if if we look at simplified like, gender differences in, like, I don't know, occupations or certain behaviors. Is it because all of socialization or what is part of what people really want and to just take less for granted? You know, that goes a long way. Yeah, it's like nature versus nurture. Yeah. Yeah, because we can't test it. Mm -hmm. Because ethically, we cannot take people away. There is no idealized society. Even Iceland, one of the most um, gender egalitarian countries, they just today, they have a women's strike. Because they're like, things are not perfect yet. We're fed up.
as we wrap up this episode, I want us all to reflect on the impact that fashion expectations have on our lives. And also, we should sit with the question of how beauty standards in the fashion industry have personally impacted us all. The things that, like, everyone has a purpose, and it just fills me with so much fucking rage that women lose a sense of purpose because, first and foremost, the most important thing becomes pleasing men. And imagine a world where that doesn't exist. <laughs> imagine a world where you can pursue your hobbies and the things that fill you with joy and, and be free of, of having to wonder if you look good doing it. Imagine that. episode, I want to call upon our listeners to challenge the ways that they see beauty, encourage them to feel empowered by their personal appearance, and I hope our listeners can separate themselves from societal expectations of appearance and use beauty as a way to feel more confident in themselves because they want to, not because it is expected.